Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to 2021. Can you believe a new year, a fresh start, and of course, a great opportunity for us to draw closer to the Lord? My name is Glenn Blakeney, and I'm the founder and president of Awake Nations Ministries. And I am good friends with uh, Pastor Arthur Geis of Spirit of Liberty Church. I love the name, by the way, Spirit of Liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Hallelujah. So I'm filling in for him this morning. I know I'm not going to be able to come uh, close to the content and the caliber of a word that you would receive from him, but I'm going to do my best. And so such a blessing to be with everyone. And if you are not part of uh, Spirit of Liberty Church, Thank you for tuning in, regardless, on the world of social media. Again, Glenn Blakeney here of Awake Nations Ministries. Well, hey, guys, we are in uh, the beginning of January 2021. And for some of you, not a lot has changed in terms of, uh, you know, some of the struggles and challenges you've been facing in life. And so, you know, as we, we cross that threshold into the new year, it seems like there's not a lot that has changed in terms of your circumstances. And, and I understand that completely. Um, that's the reality of life where we're, where we're at many times, not just in the midst of this pandemic, but also, um, you know, every year it, it can be like that. So, you know, we can change in terms of seeing our circumstances change. We get older. You know, perhaps we have new opportunities before us, but deep down within, it's our heart that really matters. It's our relationship with the Lord. So today I want to share a word with you guys on the topic of brokenness, brokenness. And that's a powerful theme. And, and I just love to hear from you guys before we get into the word. You know, when you hear that term brokenness, what do you think of? Just go ahead and type your uh, response below in the chat box. What does brokenness mean to you? And we're going to be looking, of course, at the biblical definition of brokenness, what the Lord means by that. And also, guys, we're going to pray at the end. We want to pray for you guys, no matter where you've been at in terms of your walk with God. Maybe you're tuning in right now and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you once walked with him, but you've turned your back on Jesus and you've gone into the world and you're living, you know, contrary to the life that he's called you to. Well, this is a new year, a new time, a new season, and it is your opportunity to make things right with God. Jesus died for you so that you can come to know him and have that eternal life. You know, it's not just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. It's not just, you know, being exempted from hell or, or, or separation from the presence of God in terms of eternity. But there's a life that the Lord has called you to right now. In fact, in John 17, verse 3, Jesus said this. He was praying to his father and he cried out. He said, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, knowing the true and the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing that compares to that. So thank you guys for tuning in again. I welcome everyone uh, from Spirit of Liberty Church of God in Chicago, in the Chicagoland area. Um, is it Markham? I think that's where you are. Pastor Arthur Geis, Bishop Arthur Geis is on. And again, I just uh, respect him and honor him so much. You know, we've known each other for several years now and we've just stayed connected. 
And uh, as uh, Bishop would say, he said, you know, uh, we are brothers from another mother, right? <laughs> so it is my honor to be with you guys. As I said, we're going to talk about brokenness today. And one of the key passages of scripture when we talk about brokenness is Psalm 51. Psalm 51, brokenness. And I just thank you for typing in some of your responses there. Just love to hear from you guys. Just go ahead and drop in the comment box. What is brokenness to you? What does brokenness mean to you? When you hear the term brokenness, what does that mean to you? You know, we talk about breakthrough. We are in a new year, a new season, a new time. And we said, well, this is an opportunity for a breakthrough, you know. And I just want to say right up front that a lot of times we're not going to experience our breakthrough until we experience brokenness in our lives. If we want to go through what we've been experiencing in life and come out on the other side victorious, there has to be something that changes in us. So God wants to break us in the biblical sense, which we're going to see before we can experience all that he has promised for us. Look, Nothing changes just by entering into a new year until we change, until God breaks you, you won't experience your breakthrough. There has to be some brokenness that's going to take place. And I really believe that the key to power, the key to provision, to experiencing all that the Lord has made available to us by virtue of the new covenant is found in that place of brokenness. And as I said, Psalm 51 is where we're going to be looking at in part today. Psalm 51, of course, is uh, was written by David, the great king, but it was written during a time of uh, David's lowest point in his his life, and and his he had a moral failure. We know about that. So, the Bible, of course, is replete with testimonies of those who came to experience firsthand the mercy of the Lord. You know, we read about extortioners thieves, prostitutes, tax collectors, politicians, lawyers, doctors, foul-mouthed fishermen, myriads of people in the New Testament and the Old Testament that came to experience firsthand the great compassion and the mercy of the Lord. But in Scripture, there is one person in particular that stands out as as kind of the quintessential benefactor of the grace of God. And I'm referring to King David. In fact, in Isaiah 55, verse 3, the very faithfulness of God in keeping his covenant with his people is epitomized and personified in the life of David. Let me read it to you. It says, incline your ear and come to me, says the Lord, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David speak of the very covenant of God, that God made a covenant, of course, ultimately with his son, Jesus Christ, who was the son of David, the son of man, of course, the son of God. But we see David as such a benefactor for the grace and the mercy of God. And his story is really a true saga of the great redemptive power of the Lord. David started off, we know, as a lowly shepherd, and eventually he was elevated to the lofty position of king over both Judah and Israel. And he became one of the most powerful leaders and wealthiest men in the world. This lowly shepherd was elevated and was promoted to that place. 
Now, David, for the most part, was a good leader. The Bible says in Psalm 78, verse 72, that he shepherded Israel according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. But later on, when David's popularity and power was at a zenith, when he had subjugated many of his enemies and he had made significant progress in achieving the will of God, David's heart departed from the ways of the Lord. And you know the story. He fell into gross sin. He committed adultery with a woman, and then he actually had her husband murdered in order to cover up his sin. Now, the question that we want to ask ourselves this, this morning, I think, is how can such a godly man fall into such a place of deep depravity? Think about that. How many times have we seen this where someone was so anointed, so powerful, so used by God to do great exploits, but then something happened and then one day we hear the stories, we read the headlines, it's noised all over that this great person of God, this great man of God has fallen and has gone into a place of deep depravity in sin. We've seen it happen time after time, and we thank God for his grace and his ability to redeem people and restore them after they have failed. But ultimately, it's still a terrible price to pay. And sometimes those leaders never recover. In fact, there's often they never really return to their, their former glory, their former place of, of preeminence, because, you know, even though God can restore us sometimes unfortunately the damage that is done and the dis, you know that we discredit the very name of the lord and it's just a terrible price to pay and so certainly we are advocating that we not get to that place what can we do to guard ourselves to make sure that we don't get to that place where we end up falling and failing the lord like david did in his day well the bible sheds light on the underlying cause of David's moral failure. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, this is what it says. In the springtime, when kings go to war, David remained at Jerusalem. In the springtime, when kings go to war, it says David remained at Jerusalem. Of course, David was a king. Why did David stay in Jerusalem? Why did he not go to war? Well, we understand that at that time, it was the custom, it was the practice that kings would go to war during the springtime. Spring was obviously a time when when uh, the weather was warmer. It was easier for men to camp without difficulties. The rain had eased up and pathways could be accessed with significantly less risk of, of getting stuck in the mud like chariots and both horses. And also, the spring was a time when the wheat and barley harvest could be used by, you know, an invading army, for example, they could live off of the food from that harvest as they moved across the landscape conquering. Well, David was supposed to go to war at this time, but he did not. Why? Well, I think that perhaps he felt that his reign was secure. He did not need to go to war. Now, I want you to think about that. His, his, his kingdom was secure. Why do I need to fight? I've got everything I need. I'm good. Okay. Secondly, perhaps he was tired from the past season of war. Come on now. Have you ever been there? 
I don't feel like fighting any longer. I don't feel like going to war, going to battle anymore. I'm tired. You know, whatever the reason, David was out of position. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know the story. He stayed home. He was on the rooftop at night and he saw Bathsheba and the rest is history. An epic failure ensued for King David. Now, this is what I want us to look at. The same tendencies are characteristic of many of God's people in this season in which we're living right now. Some of you guys, I've been, I've been reading recently um, about pastors and leaders in the church. And, you know, one pastor in a great church, a great ministry in, in Tennessee recently resigned. He stepped down. He just said, I'm tired. He said, I can't continue. He said, this has been such a difficult time. I cannot continue. He said, the expectations are too much. The pressure is, is too uh, demanding. And he said, I just cannot keep going the way I'm going. I need a break. I'm stepping down. And there are so many leaders in the church right now that are feeling this pressure, particularly during this time of COVID-19, when it's affecting in so many different ways, economically, socially, churches are in decline. Most churches that are meeting are, which there are many places in the world where churches are not yet gathering, they're at very limited capacity, very limited capacity. Financially, they're not doing as well as they were for whatever reason. People aren't giving, people aren't going. You know, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And we're living in a difficult and a challenging time when many leaders in God's kingdom are feeling the pressure. So what I think is happening is a lot of times, see, this is what COVID-19 has done. COVID-19 has exposed a lot of things. It's exposed a lot of things. In fact, I did a video recently where I look at four specific lessons that this pandemic has taught us regarding our own relationship with God and, and even how we've been doing ministry. And, you know, one of the things that, that I think COVID-19 has done is it has leveled the playing field. You know, it used to be that, uh, and, and you still hear this and it's unfortunate, but I saw a great um, man of God share publicly on social media recently. He said, you know, I've been traveling all over the world all these years. I've been preaching in, in large gatherings and large churches and, and he said, and honestly, he said, I've come to the place now where I don't have any ministry engagements. I can't, I have nowhere to preach, now, nothing to do. And he said, I've realized that my identity was tied up in my ministry. And, you know, what has happened now is those who have large churches, those who have um, been in itinerant ministry, there's been a challenge. There's been looking at, we've had to take a serious look at our lives. You know, where are we at? Now I'm talking to those who are in ministry right now. Where are we at? What is our relationship with God really been like? Because no matter what happens in ministry, no matter what happens in terms of churches being able to gather and, and so on, the ultimate truth is, are we walking with God? Are we strong in the Lord? Do we have a life that is yielded and submitted to him? And frankly, I really believe that many of God's servants have, have been close to him. They've been walking with him throughout the years. And this is really not, 
not that it's been easy, but it hasn't stopped them. It hasn't, it hasn't discouraged them or derailed them or, or disillusioned them, at least to the point where they have no sense of purpose. They're, they're struggling with their identity. This is just simply a pause. This is just simply an opportunity to withdraw, to get closer to God. I've talked about that previously in the life, in the ministry of Elijah when he was in the brook Cherith. But this is an opportunity for us to get closer to God. This is an opportunity for us to revisit even how we've been doing ministry and, and so on and so forth. So here we are. God is calling us in this season, I believe, to a place of brokenness where we no longer trust in ourselves, where we no longer um, grade ourselves or, or pride ourselves in the things that we've accomplished. Like, okay, you know, I've got this. I've done that. I'm successful. I'm good. Look, dismantling is taking place in so many ways right now. God is dismantling so many things in our lives. So many idols are being dismantled and God is bringing us back to that place where we need to look and trust to him. So David, you know, he achieves significant milestones in his life, in his reign and his rule as the king of Judah and Israel. But then what happens is he had become complacent and he had become lethargic. Let's talk a little bit about that. Complacency and lethargy. The former speaks of a feeling of smug satisfaction with ourselves and our accomplishments. I'm good. I've done this. I've done that. Okay. Lethargy, on the other hand, is a lack of energy and enthusiasm because we've grown weary from past seasons of war. We've grown weary because of past seasons, perhaps the present season that you're in. You've just become war. You've just become wearied. The Just for Pros event at Lowe's is back, and there's never been a better time to upgrade with guaranteed tough DeWalt tools. Head into Lowe's for the largest in-stock selection of DeWalt power tools, including the new 20-volt max power stack battery. It's 50% more powerful, 25% more compact, and 15% lighter. Plus, it works with over 250 DeWalt 20-volt max tools. Lowe's, the home for pros. Versus DCB203 battery, not an application and footprint, U.S. only battle fatigue, so to speak. Let's face it, life can become tough and it's not easy to stay focused and keep pressing on with passion and joy. You know, it's that's just the way it is. But yet if anyone we know in the Bible experienced hardship, of course, it was Jesus. But the Bible says he gladly endured the shame of the cross. Listen to this, for the joy that was set before him. There was joy that was set before him. He saw that joy. And as a result of that, he gladly endured the hardship that he went through. All right, let's look at two problems that we're currently facing today in our, our, our walk with God. Many of us, not just leaders, I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole now. Many have given up, many of us have given up contending for the fullness of God's plan for our lives. We've just kind of resigned ourselves. Okay, it is what it is. I'm good. I mean, you know, I hope it happens, but we've stopped contending. We settle for second best, for mediocrity, or even worse, a life of misery. Wow. Are you at that place? Have you been there? Have you given up contending? Have you stopped fighting and, you know, pressing into God and pre prevailing 
in order to see the prophetic promises of God come to pass in your life, the promises that are in the word of God. Problem number two, the root cause often of a person's moral failure, and this was the case in David's uh, egregious moral failure, ultimately is pride. Pride. The Bible says that, well, that pride goes before a fall. So in David's heart, he viewed himself as superior to others. Come on now. And therefore, exempt from serving alongside his brothers. Now, think about that. Listen, I've been to those places, you know, the conferences and uh, the, the VIP room, you know, where you get invited into the VIP room only if, only if, you know, you have got a church of a uh, thousand people or whatever, you know, you, you've got some notoriety, you have a media presence and, you know, that type of thing. And it becomes a good old boys club. It becomes all about uh, a prem prominence in terms of how prominent are we, how well known are we and so on. And there is a sense in which it's kind of like, well, we, you're not one of us. You're not at that level. There's a sense in which people actually look at, listen to me. It's a caste system in the kingdom of God. It's a caste system, even among leaders, that if you aren't this, this, this or that, you don't measure up. And it's pride. It's pride. Some of the greatest, most anointed men and women of God that I have ever met are virtually unknown in the Western church. They are unknown in the Western church. They could walk into a conference. They've raised the dead. They've cast out demons. They've seen hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people come to know Jesus Christ, and they are virtually unknown. They work quietly. They're under the radar, and they are living and, and ministering in some of the darkest and most difficult places in the world. And so pride is a terrible thing, and I know that God in this season is trying to bring us back to that place, as we're going to see, of true brokenness, true brokenness. So none of us are better. None of us are better than anyone else. We don't elevate people. We, we don't promote people, but we honor not only leaders. We need to honor leaders. That's biblical, but we honor one another as well. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, that we are to honor one another as well. So pride, when you become proud you become uh, content with where you're at. And, you know, I was reading the story of Gideon this morning and how God said that the army was too big and that he would not allow uh, Gideon to go to battle with a great size army because the men would think that they did it. They won the battle by their own strength, by their own power, by their own prowess. But so God says, look, I am going to humble you so that you learn that it's not by mind, it's not by power, but by it's, it's by his spirit. It's all about him. He's the one who gives us the victory. He's the one who enables us to win. He's the one, the Bible says, who gives us power to create wealth. As, as they were crossing into the promised land, he warned them, don't say in your heart, my own ability, my own power, my own strength, my own wisdom has enabled me to prosper. But no, remember the Lord your God, for he's the one who gives you the power to create wealth. So Psalm 10 verse 4 says, the wicked in the pride of his countenance does not seek God, 
God is not in his thoughts. The wicked and the pride of his countenance does not seek God. You know, some people say, well, I have a hard time praying. I just find it difficult praying. I get distracted. I get, you know, discouraged or whatever. And, and you know, but ultimately, even, even laziness, and I get that we, we can become spiritually lazy. Even laziness is not the root cause of a prayerless life. It says the wicked in the pride of his countenance does not seek God. When you are humble, when you realize that you need God, that you're, you depend on him, that you cannot live this life that he's called you to live without his grace, you will seek him. You will seek him. But when you become uh, complacent, when you're like, I'm good, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm okay, and thank you, God, and once in a while when we get in trouble, like, hey, Lord, I need your help then what happens at that point is we move from a place of communing with God and drawing from his strength to a place of self-satisfaction, self-dependence, and we, we end up becoming, literally putting ourselves in a very dangerous place, a very dangerous place. There are specific instructions in the word of God for kings. Now, remember, David was a king, and David was instructed, God sh said this through through uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20. When a king came on a throne, he was to make sure, let me read this to you, that he read the law of the Lord in order that he would stay humble, in order that he would not be puffed up and exalt himself above his brethren. Listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, meaning a king, that he shall write for himself a copy of the law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of the, this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Wow. So David, I believe, had neglected to keep the word of God in front of him. His heart had grown cold, and now his pride had overtaken him, and he was no longer seeking God. And to add insult to injury, he demonstrated no remorse for what he had done. You know, someone has said is that sin will keep us from the word of God or the word of God will keep us from sinning. And that's true. When we keep the word of God in front of us, when we read the word, when we meditate on the word, when we pray the word of God, when we remember what God says in his word. It's going to keep us in a place where we realize our smallness before God. You know, one of the greatest challenges I believe that we're facing right now in the church is not uh, an inferiority complex. It is not that we, we don't think highly enough of ourselves. I believe it's the opposite. I believe in many places, and, and I get that, we, we struggle with, well, I'm not worthy, I could never do that, I'm not like her, I'm not like him, I get that. But what I'm saying is that we're not to become self-confident, we're to become Christ-confident. 
So what I'm saying is we need to come to a place where we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, but we are humble. We are humble. We are dependent on him. It, you know, David, he falls, he fails. And, and what ends up happening, you know, is he, he's like, he just continues. He just continues ruling and reigning and doing all the things that a king does. You know, it's like he had felt that he had masterminded the perfect scheme and he had um, escaped being caught in his sin. You know, maybe Joab and perhaps a few others are, were privy to what had occurred with Bathsheba and, and Uriah the Hittite being, being killed by David. But scripture informs us that the one who sees all things was quite aware of David's actions. We read in 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Wow. What David had done had not escaped the all-seeing eye of God. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David was then approached by the prophet Nathan who exposed his sin. We read in 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 through 9 and 13 through 15, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Remember, he told David the parable about the shepherd and, and so on. And then he and the king. And this is what he said. He said, David, you're the man. You're the one who, who is, is really the one in the story that I've just been telling. He said, you are, you were called by God. You were powerful. You know, thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. God said, listen to this. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You were, have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Wow. He was exposed because of his sin. What a terrible thing. You know, David had, had not demonstrated any repentance up to this point. You know, I remember there was a time I was ministering in a large church in a city, um, and a large city, actually. And, and you know, I was up there. I was preaching, and, and the, I felt the anointing very strongly. And I was talking about David and this very story, in fact. And I turned around, and I'm telling you guys, it was it was a scary thing. I pointed at a man who was on the platform. He's one of the ministers. He is sitting on the platform, and I turned around and I pointed at him and I said, "And if you don't repent of what you're doing, God is going to expose you publicly." I mean, wow! It's like I didn't even realize what happened. It came out of my mouth, and and I that action was prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I was a spectator to it. I didn't realize. And I was like, wow, what is this about? And, and so about six months later, I got contacted by one of the, the pastors of the church. And he told me, he said, do you remember when you turned and to the, all of us who were sitting on the platform and you pointed and it seemed you were pointing at this one man in particular. And, and I said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, well, uh, this man was just exposed. He's been having multiple affairs in the church with women in the church, he said, this man was just exposed, this man of God, this minister. And uh, it's, it's a terrible thing what has happened. Listen to me. 
God is merciful, God is loving, but God is a God of holiness. And God wants to bring purity into his church. He wants his people to be holy and surrendered to him. So what happens next, of course, after David is um, rebuked by the prophet Nathan, what takes place is David cries out. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Wow. David humbles himself. Even though David had not demonstrated any remorse, not a semblance of repentance, David now, after being confronted by the prophet, cries out, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replies to David, responds to him and says, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And remember, because of what had been done, David should have, at the very least, been deposed from his throne as king. By law, he was liable to be stoned to death. But due to his response, God unilaterally, sovereignly made the decision to spare David's life. In verse 13, David uh, said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, he recognized that. He went on to write two Psalms, Psalm 38 and Psalm 51, in the aftermath of this ordeal. And he specifically says in Psalm 51 against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, speaking to God. He recognized first and foremost that all sin is against God. Now, make no mistake about it. There were consequences for David's actions. You know the story how how the son, he, a boy was born as a result of the the um, relationship he had with Bathsheba, and that child ended up dying. You know, that was a terrible, terrible thing. But make no mistake about it, there are consequences to our sinful actions. But understand this, ultimately, what is the most important thing is that we are restored to right relationship with God. David, now, in in the the after what he did in terms of owning up and 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 taking responsibility for his actions david now is a broken and a contrite man who would walk in humility and the fear of god the rest of the days of his life and as i said he he penned psalms 38 and 51 in psalm 51 verse 17 david reveals something very powerful here. Listen to this. He's now deeply remorseful for what he had done. He cries out to God in his despair. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What was David meaning? You know, this is a significant verse. It, it, as it reveals to us the kind of person God is truly pleased with. It's not the perfect, but it's the penitent. It's, it's not those who are, you know, always doing good because sometimes we look at people and we think, man, that person struggled, that person failed, that person has made mistakes. But ultimately, God looks at our heart. That's what he looks at. He looks at our heart. Now, I'm not saying he excuses our actions. I get that. But what I'm saying is that God looks at our hearts. And there might be people that you know that are struggling, particularly if they're trying to get traction and get on, you know, back with the Lord, maybe the new believers. They might be struggling. 
but God looks at their heart. And some of the things that they're struggling with and, and they're dealing with in this season, in this time in their life, they're going to overcome. They're going to, they're going to get through it and they're going to grow and, and they're going to walk in victory eventually. But, but God's looking at their heart. So we have to be careful. So God is looking for a people who will walk with him with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God is looking for a man, a woman who has a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You know, God is able to use anyone. That's the amazing. At Kroger, fresh groceries are our thing. So we check your delivery order for freshness at every step from farm to store and pick and pack every veggie in your free pickup order with care because we treat your food the way we'd want ours to be treated. We're fresh every day, so shop anyway. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Amazing thing, no matter how much we messed up, how much we failed, and like I said, even though there are consequences to the past decisions we made and choices, uh, listen, God is able to restore God is able to renew and God is able to reconcile. But God is looking for those who are broken. This is powerful. Brokenness is the sacrifice that God is looking for. The word broken in the Hebrew language means to burst. It can be translated both literally and figuratively. It clearly alludes to the person that is gripped with deep sorrow for their sin. Very clear. However, listen to this. This same Hebrew word can also be translated to bring to birth. The Hebrew word brokenness can also be translated to bring to birth. And the idea, for example, is of water bursting. Like if a woman who is about to go into labor and her water bursts, this is what the idea of the Hebrew uh, word is. It's like the water bursts. Why? Because it's time to give delivery. It's time to give birth. Okay. And so the idea here is that true brokenness births the promises of God. We're not going to see the promises of God birthed on, on the earth in our lives until we're in a place of true brokenness. This is powerful. This is powerful. Listen to them. So David continues Right after he says the sacrifices of God are a broken heart and, you know, a, a contrite spirit. This is what he says in verse 18 of Psalm 51. Do good in your pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Isn't that powerful? Now, you remember when uh, Nehemiah went to inspect the ruins. Jerusalem was laid in ruin. You know, the walls were down, knocked down, and and there was rubble everywhere. It says in the book of Nehemiah that when he went, he viewed the ruins. That word is derived from the same Hebrew word here, broken. So what has happened, what is happening in Nehemiah's day is Nehemiah goes, he sees the ruins, and he's moved. I mean, he's broken. He views the ruins and he's broken. His heart is, is aching. But listen to this. That same word, Shabar, means has the idea of to give birth. So what does Nehemiah say? He says, come, let us rise up. Let us build. Let us restore 
what has been broken. So the idea, guys, of true brokenness is not just feeling sorrowful or remorseful for what we've done, but also having a sense of doing what is right, of walking in a place of, of rebuilding and, and restoring what has been broken in our lives. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 talks about two types of sorrow. There's worldly sorrow and there's godly sorrow. Listen to what it says. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Okay. So the characteristic of godly sorrow is it produces repentance. It leads to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death, Paul says. The sorrow of the world pro produces death. Now, we know that... Um, Peter failed God, right? He failed Jesus. He denied Jesus. And he was sorrowful for what he did. And then we can think of Judas Iscariot and how he failed Jesus. He was sorrowful as well, but his sorrowful was not a godly sorrow. His sorrow ended up resulting in death. He ended up killing himself. But the sorrow that God says is godly sorrow actually leads or produces repentance that leads to salvation. So godly sorrow produces repentance, change. You know, okay, we did this, I did that, but I'm going to change. I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to, you know, walk in what God has called me to do. And it leads to salvation, which means to that place where you are walking in the fullness of God's promise for your life, wholeness, completion, you know, deliverance, and so on. Okay, so this kind of sorrow wants us that that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and it results in salvation. There's no regret. Okay, look, all right, I'm closing the door. Yeah, I made mistakes, but I'm not. You know, it's like I'm not regretting that I repented. How many times do we repent of our repentance? You know, you've seen that. I remember when I first came to the Lord, I struggled with that, right? I would repent. I feel so bad for what I did that was wrong. And then I go back to my old ways again. So I repented of my repentance. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance and it results in spiritual death. David was a man, conversely, contrary-wise, who actually possessed a broken and contrite heart. The father himself testified of David hundreds of years after his death. He said this in Acts 13, 22, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Now, I want you to hear that again, Acts 13, 22. So here, here's um, Paul, he's preaching and he's referring and recounting history. And he's speaking of David and how God spoke of David the son of Jesse, he said, he's a man after my own heart who, listen to this, who will do all my will. Listen, he's a man of brokenness, right? So he's a man after God's own heart who will do all his will. This is powerful. We got to understand that brokenness results in doing the will of God. When we're truly broken, we will do the will of God. You know, Psalm 32, I love this in, in verses 8 and 9. It's a powerful, powerful translation. Uh, particularly, you're going to see it in, in um, the Passion Translation. Let me read it to you in one version. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. 
Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So God's saying, listen to me, I want to guide you. I want to lead you. I want to take you along the best pathway for your life. That's the plans that he has for you and he has for me. So why would we balk? Why do we resist when he wants to take us on the right pathway? Listen to the Passion Translation, Psalm 32, 8 and 9. I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the way and the best pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. Listen to this. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. Don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. Wow. <laughs> now, I was ministering, I remember one time in Florida, and there was um, a family there that had just escaped from a country where Christians were being persecuted and are being persecuted. In fact, what had happened was um, they they were being threatened. And so they ended up, they they fled the country. They they ended up in a in a nearby nation, and they they ended up uh, going into kind of like a refugee camp there. And they applied for asylum, and the United States government ended up granting them asylum. They moved to the USA. So I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know what was going on in their lives, but um, I was praying for them at the end of of the sermon and ministry time. And as I'm praying, I had a vision. And it was regarding the wife. I see it was it was powerful. I see like Jesus and he's walking in front of her. And it's like a residential area in, you know, like a suburban neighborhood. And and he's walking in front of her and she's lagging behind. She, you know, come on now. If Jesus is walking with you, why would you lag behind? Well, you'd want to be with him, wouldn't you? And she's just like dragging her feet. She's kind of dug in and she's not wanting to go. And Jesus keeps turning around and he's looking at her. And it's like he's saying, hey, come on, walk with me. Come on, catch up. Let's walk together. And and I hear the Lord say to me at that point when I see this, that she is not happy with where she is. She is um, not um, responding to the Lord the way she should. She's not grateful. And the Lord wants her to know that he has called her on this journey and that he's with her and he wants to walk her to walk with him on this journey. And, and so I shared that she began to weep and she actually had to have her husband translate it because she didn't speak English. She began to weep and she confessed that she did not want to come to the United States. So she wanted to go back to her homeland, to her family, even though her husband could have been imprisoned or who knows what else. She did not like it. And she was actually, the Lord was saying is you are resisting me. You're balking against me. Why do I have to keep calling you, you know, tonguing you along? Like I've called you to walk this way. Why are you resisting my will for your life? Listen, guys, many of us, there are seasons and times in our life where we are resisting the will of God. We think 
We think it's the devil, right? Oh, the devil is doing this to me. Sometimes what we think is the resistance of the enemy trying to block us from moving forward and we're pursuing a particular direction and the devil doesn't want me to go there. The devil's trying to stop me. Satan is not pleased with me. You know, he's trying to abort my destiny. And, and what we think is the resistance of the enemy might be the insistence of the father, the insistence that we go a different direction, that we stop pursuing what we are doing and that we realize that it's not his will that we continue in the direction that we are going. Submit yourself to God first. Then you resist the devil and he will flee. If you're not submitted to God, you can try to resist the devil all you want. Sometimes we were thinking it's the devil and we rebuke in the devil and it's God and God don't rebuke very easily. <laughs> Okay, listen to me. Listen, God says, I want you to be meek. I want you to be meek. James 3.13, listen to this. Show by your good contact work, that your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Elsewhere in James, I think it's chapter 1, verse 21, he says, receive the engrafted or implanted word that with meekness, he says, with meekness. It's able to save your soul. Listen to me. What does the word meek mean? The Greek word for meek is praos. Praos, okay? The New Testament term, listen to this, was borrowed from the Greek military and relates to the art of horse training. It's very powerful. Listen, God is looking for a meek people. Meek. Meek is not weak. David was a powerful man but David ended up becoming a meek man. Jesus said, I am lowly, I am meek. Jesus was powerful. Jesus wasn't afraid of anyone. Jesus would go wherever. He was not fearful of any man, but Jesus was meek. Listen to this. Learn from me, Jesus said, I am meek, right? A lowly of heart. Listen, so meek, is the word praos is borrowed from the Greek military, relates to the art of horse training. The Greek army would search for horses in the mountains and would intentionally select, intentionally select the most spirited and wild horses of the herd. These horses would then be taken to a camp to be broken in. Wow. Some of y'all are like that. Listen, you say, God has chosen you. Why? Because you're the most spirited and the most wild. And God has said, but I'm going to break you. I'm going to break you. Think about some of the people that he used. Think about Peter. Wow. And so God is saying, I'm going to break you in like a wild horse is broken. Listen to me. After months of training, months of training, working with these horses, trying to break them in, the horses were um, selected and they were put into different categories. Some of the horses were actually useless. They, they would not um, respond with meekness. They, and and they, they, would not, they were not teachable, in other words. And so they were discarded, these horses. Okay. Now, some of these horses, they became partially broken and they were made useful for bearing burdens. Okay. That would be their responsibility. 
Some were selected for ordinary duty, but very few of the horses graduated to the place of becoming war horses. War horses. When a horse passed the conditioning and the testing required to become a war horse, its state was described as praos in Greek. Praos, which means meek. That was the word. The war horse had power under authority, strength under control. The war horse was still very strong, very passionate. However, it learned to bring its nature under discipline and was no longer unruly and rebellious. A war horse was broken to the point that its nature was under control and completely submitted to its master. It would thunder into battle. It would stand unflinchingly in the face of cannon fire. Yet this war horse would respond to the slightest touch of the rider and at the stop, even of a whisper. It would stop even at a whisper. Listen to me. This is what praos or meek is. This is what God is looking for in us. He's looking for a people that will be broken, broken in like a horse, a horse that no longer has its own will, but submits its will, no longer you know, carries out its own will, but submits its will to its rider. That's what God is looking for. And when I think about Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate in terms of meekness. He personified meekness, right? You think about him. I, I remember when the Lord showed me this a long time ago, here is Jesus. He's standing outside the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. He's buried. And then what ends up happening is Jesus is about to raise him from the dead. And he prays in, in John chapter 11. I believe it's verse 40 through 41. And, and I'm going to just paraphrase what he said. He, he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I thank you that you always hear me. And then he kind of adds this disclaimer. He says, but for the sake of you know those who are standing here, I'm, I'm praying. In other words, I wouldn't even pray this prayer. He said, but because for the unbelievers are here, I'm praying it. It's just because of them, for their sake, in other words. Listen to me. What was Jesus saying? He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I thank you that you'll always hear me. Wow. What assurance, what confidence that Jesus was always heard by his father. Now, listen, why is that? Why could he boast that the father always heard him, always listened to him? Well, I was praying about that one day, and then the Lord took me to several places in the New Testament, particularly the Gospel of John. But in John chapter 8, verse 29, this is what it says. Jesus is praying. He said, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that are pleasing in his sight. I do always those things that are pleasing in his sight. Jesus said, the Father always hears me. The Father always answers me. Why? For I do always those things that are pleasing in his sight. In John 6, 38, he said, I've come from heaven to earth, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 4, 
I believe it's verse 34, Jesus said, my food, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Of course, he cried out in the garden. He cried out when he was, was praying. He said, you know, Lord, he said, not my will, but your will be done. He delighted to do the will of his father is what the scripture says. He delighted to the will of his father. I only do those things. I see my father doing the son can do nothing of himself. John 5, 19. There's a place, guys, where we are so submitted to the will of the Lord. We're so yielded to his will. We are broken. We have no desire to go our own way, but we are like that power and that passion and, and that, that what God has given to us is still there, but it's under control. It's yielded to the Father. It's yielded for his purposes, not to live for ourselves, not to do those things which are sinful and evil. David was a passionate man. David was passionate. David was a worshiper. He danced before the Lord. He, he was a man on fire. He had great, you know, emotion and, 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 all of his ways, but David was submitted. He was yielded to God. And there's a place that God is trying to bring us to, a place of brokenness in this season. Do you know those who are truly broken yield and release, yielded to God, release the fragrance of Christ wherever they go. They release the fragrance of Christ today. See, what we need today is not greater preachers. We have some amazing preachers today. What we need today is not people that that uh, necessarily, you know, can can um, articulate biblical uh, principles and and theology better. But what we need more than ever today, more than anything, I believe, is men and women that are so yielded, so broken, so dependent on God, so so humble, and so committed to live in his presence and and to do his will that's what we need today men and women that are broken in that way there's you know the bible says in psalm 37 verse 4 that we delight ourselves in the lord he will give us the desires of our heart right that word delight it's interesting i looked it up and it's not commonly translated this way but if you look at it in deeper it actually means to make yourself um alluring is what it means to make yourself alluring. So when you delight yourself and we can say, well, it's also God becomes alluring to us. Listen, that's true. It works both ways. Listen to me. When we cause God, when, when God in our eyes allures us, in other words, we are attracted to the person and presence of God not just the promises and the provision, not just the things. The Bible said, delight yourself in the Lord. Listen to that. Okay, not in what he can do for you, but in the Lord. Okay, God becomes attractive. God becomes alluring. God becomes enticing to us, the person of God. But then the word can also mean for ourselves. And, and it's actually translated that way in different parts, of, in Jeremiah in particular, to make oneself alluring, to make oneself enticing. Are we enticing to God? Do we attract the presence of God? Jesus attracted the favor and the presence of God. Remember what it says in Luke 2.52, that he grew in favor with men and God. He grew in favor. It's a Greek word, which means grace. He grew in grace. Carries. He grew in favor with both man and God. We can grow in favor with God. How? 
We delight, we make ourselves attractive to God. We, and so what is that? What attracts the presence of God? There's at least four things that attracts the presence of God. Humility, humility. What? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Secondly, hunger. Now, all of these start with the letter H. <laughs> hunger. What? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God responds to spiritual hunger. Holiness. Blessed are the pure in heart. True holiness is purity of heart. God responds to holiness. God responds to it. those who will see God, right? Without holiness, no man shall see the, the Lord. But blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see the Lord. And then ultimately, honor. Honor. Do we honor God? Do we honor others? When we learn to honor this attracts the favor and the blessing of God in our lives. And listen to me, such people are broken people. And wherever they go, they release the glory. They release the anointing. They release the fragrance of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. You know, we can release the very fragrance, the aroma of the life of Christ wherever we go. That's what we're called to do. You know, when we're broken before God, we fill the atmosphere with the fragrance of Christ. Come on. Some people say that's the anointing. That's the glory. That's the presence. We carry, we walk in it. Listen, Mark 14, 3, you know the story. Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon, a leper. He sits at the table and a woman comes in with an alabaster flask, very costly oil of spikenard. She breaks the flask and pours it onto his head. John 12, 3 says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Brokenness releases the fragrance of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are the fragrance, we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our body. Wow. God is looking for a people who will release his life, his anointing, his glory, his presence. Like Peter, think about Peter. You know, Peter's shadow, he was releasing the fragrance and the knowledge of the knowledge of Christ wherever he went. Paul, the anointing that he walked in. Listen, guys, this is a season to go deeper with God. Some of us, you know, we've been binge watching Netflix. We've been binge watching this. We've been binging on that, but we've not been binging on God. We've not been binging in, in his presence. We've not been binging in that place of knowing him, of seeking him. God wants to bring us to a place of brokenness, brokenness, brokenness before the Lord. Are you broken? The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. God, what? It says he what he heals the brokenhearted. We release that. We 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 release his fragrance. Brokenness is not only feeling bad for the evil things we've done, but it's giving birth to the new life. It's moving from a place of just sorrow to a place 
of true repentance. Let me pray for you guys. Let me pray for you. Please leave your comments below. How can I pray for you? Pastor Arthur, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I want to pray for your pastor as well right now. I want to pray for Pastor Arthur Geis, the Spirit of Liberty, Church of God in uh, South Chicagoland. I've had the privilege to minister there in the past, saw amazing miracles happen, the glory and the anointing released. Let me pray for your pastor. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you're calling us to brokenness, Lord. Father, break us, Lord. Break us, Lord. Break us for the things that break you, Lord. Give us such a hunger for you, Lord, such a desire to do your will, that we delight to do your will, that we contend and we want to see your promises come to pass on the earth, Father. Lord, that we will not settle for mediocrity. Some of you, there's been things that you've been believing for for years. And, and you know, as the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you've stopped believing and you've stopped trusting God. And listen to me. God wants you to believe once again. He wants you to bring you to a place of brokenness, not only where you are, are sorrowful for your past mistakes and and going astray and those type of things. And maybe you feel bad because of failures. And, you know, you might feel today like I'm a failure. I've not succeeded. And, you know, listen to me. God wants you to understand that that true repentance says that stuff doesn't matter anymore. True brokenness gives birth to the promises of God. True brokenness resurrects the promises of God. It, it reignites vision and passion for what God wants to do in your life through you as well. True brokenness delivers. It gives birth. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the message earlier. Let me pray for you. Father, there are people right now that need fresh vision, fresh passion. They need, Lord God, uh, a sense in which what has, has not come to pass, the things that have gone off the rails, so to speak, in their life, they need to get back on track, Lord. I pray for renewed vision. I pray for renewed passion. I pray for a sense of, of knowing that they're forgiven, receiving his forgiveness, receive the grace of God, receive the forgiveness of God, and, and just understand that even the failures that were of your own making, of your own devices, Listen to me. God forgives you. God cleanses you. God washes you. Just come before him, broken, sorrowful for what you've done. Take responsibility. Say, Lord, I tried to do it my way. I tried to make it happen in my own strength rather than waiting on you, rather than going in the way that you've been leading and trusting you to show me the right way. But coming to that place of brokenness, listen to me, a people that are broken pray. A people that are broken spend much time in the word. They spend much time in his presence. They worship him. Why? Because they realize without his strength, without his grace, they can't do it. They can't overcome. They can't do what God's called them to do. We cannot do it in our own strength. We've got to do it with the power and the anointing that comes from him. That's what Jesus did. He often withdrew into the wilderness to pray, Luke 5, 16. And then he came forth with anointing, with power, with authority. He was yielded to his father. I only do those things that are pleasing to him, he said. I only do those things that are honoring to him. I only do his will. 
Lord, I pray right now for every person watching. I pray for restoration. I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, for miracles. This is a season to see miracles, signs and wonders released on the earth again. I pray for an, a new breed, a new remnant to rise up in resurrection power that will shake the powers of darkness, that will, will dislodge principalities and powers from the earth, and we'll see men and women come into the kingdom. Listen to me. Some of you, your kids are going to get saved. Your kids are going to come back to God. You've been praying for your kids. Someone, even this morning, one of your kids just spoke with you, and he said something. I believe it was a, it's like a, a young man, and he said something to you like that was like, wow, it's a signpost. It's an indication that he's thinking about God once again. You're like, what's happening? I, I've basically given up. And then he just said something that indicates that he's thinking about God, that God hasn't given up on him, that, that God is still working in his life. In other words, you need to pray now. Pray, pray, pray. He's going to come back to God. He's going to come back to God. He's going to bring others in his family back to the Lord as well. I see like a sister coming back to the Lord. I see others coming back to the Lord in the name of Jesus. I declare it in it and I decree it. Some of you, there's there's someone, your business is struggling. You, this may be more than one person. I understand that. But I feel that someone very specific right now, your business has been struggling and you've been thinking about shutting it down. You've been thinking about shutting it down. I want you to know that you're on the upswing. You're going to come out of this. You're going to keep praying. Stop and you say, I don't know what to do. That's you're in the right place. I don't know what to do. I can't try. I, I can't do any more than I've been doing. Listen to me. God's going to make it happen. God's going to make it happen. Just worship him. Trust him. Praise him. Give him the glory. Put him first. Honor him. Give. So do those things that you need to do to honor the Lord. And God's going to help you. He's going to bring you out of this situation. He's going to bring you out of this situation. He's going to bless you. Listen to me. God is moving powerfully. He's looking for a people that are broken. Lord, I pray for my good friend, Bishop Arthur Geis, Lord. I pray, Father, for his life. Father, I thank you for his heart, for you, for your people, and his hunger for your word, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name for a fresh anointing and a fresh mantle. I pray for his health. I pray, Lord God, for strength. I pray, Lord God, for full recovery in every area and his life, Lord, I thank you for health and healing in his life, and I bless him, Lord. Thank you for the man of God that he is and the blessing he is to so many. I speak blessing over his life. I speak blessing over his life, and I declare and decree, Lord God, that you are with him, and you're ministering to him right now. I release the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I release the anointing of the Holy Ghost right now for, for healing and deliverance healing and deliverance right now receive your healing in jesus name receive your healing right now back condition somebody you were in an, a, a car wreck and your back was really injured come on now listen to me your back was injured listen right now in jesus name it's like i feel like the lord saying to somebody it's like you got this cage it's like a cage that has been put into your body. Listen, God is going to touch you and heal you. Just receive it in Jesus name. I don't know if that's a separate word of knowledge right now. If you were, that's you receive healing in Jesus name, receive healing in Jesus name. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Receive it in Jesus name, receive it in Jesus name, receive it in Jesus name. Lord, I pray for those who are needing jobs. I pray that you would open the door. Thank you for promotion. Thank you for open doors and favor. Thank you for lives that delight in you. We delight ourselves in you. 
we're broken. Teach us brokenness, Father. Teach us how to walk in brokenness so we can release the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's my privilege to be able to bring forth this word. My name is Glenn Blakeney, and uh, I am the founder and president of Awake Nations Ministries. You can check out my website, awakenations.org. Again, thank you, uh, Bishop Arthur, guys, for giving me the privilege to be able to bring this word to Spirit of Liberty Church in Chicago. And, of course, we have other people that are tuned in as well. Bless you guys from Spirit of Liberty in particular. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Would you please share the broadcast before um, you go off? Just take a moment, hit that share button, or you can share it afterwards as well. Leave your comments as well, and uh, please do pray for your pastor. Uphold him, bless him, and just tell him how much you love him as well. He's a great man of God. You are so blessed to have this man of God as your pastor. Thank you all. Have a great Sunday. Lord bless you. Talk to you again. Bye-bye. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.